We open on the snow-covered Cape of Point Claire. Two of the acolytes of Fleur's watch can be seen carrying out a suspiciously body-shaped lump wrapped in a tarp and tied up with rope with a mystical silver sheen to it, a ward on the central knot. They toss the body over the cliff edge, and as it plummets to the lake below, the tarp moves, exposing the face and strawberry blonde hair of Theodora Lockwood. The body makes a sickening cracking noise as it hits the ice that's formed over the lake's surface before the ward flows, steam suddenly rising from the ice. As Theodora's body is pulled into the depths by a magical force, the bell of Point Claire rings once over the cape. Jeremy, I hope that was both morbid and melodramatic enough for you. I love it. <laughs> and today we're going to start over in Five Points in Soul's Diner where Victor is getting some pancakes and thinking about his life. The ring of the bell is simultaneous with the clinking of a second plate of pancakes as Victor is, like, sipping his coffee and is awoken from thought by it. He nods to the waitress and picks up his knife and fork. Oh, what's the waitress's name? I know I have her name. Jenny? Yes, that sounds right, Jenny. You doing all right there, Victor? You got a got a bit of a dark cloud about you. Yeah. Victor is wearing different clothes from earlier where he got shot by fireballs. Yeah, uh, had a rough morning. Got some things I got to think about. Well, if there's anything I can do to help you out, let me know, all right? All right, will do. Thank you. Some more coffee would be great. You got it. All right, good. So yes, this reminds me. Okay, so before this, Victor was, this This is for Landon's MC brain purpose. Victor was at Anastasia's where you all got attacked. Victor killed a couple of guys. And Anastasia was like, you should probably get out of here. Yeah, I left my shotgun behind. Yeah. So she didn't have to explain why there was a third person there that isn't there now. Which who knows how well that'll go. Victor assumes Anastasia can handle herself. That's a safe assumption. Victor massages his temple. All right. So, if I was attacked... No, no, I wasn't attacked. No one knew I would be there, so... He uh, strokes his large beard and pulls out a few singed hairs and discards them under the table. Cast them. Fuck am I gonna do about that? And he digs into his pancakes. And I would like to roll to let it out. <laughs> Alright, go ahead and roll to let it out and tell me how that looks and what you're trying to achieve. Victor has been gorging himself on food, namely pancakes, bacon, sausage, the whole shebang. It is a supplement for the flesh of the people he normally eats to try and heal himself. When he has been shot by magic. Fair. That is a nine. All right. So on a hit, you do it. Choose one from the list and mark corruption. All right. I have the move regeneration, which lets me heal one harm when I uh, let it out. So I will clear one harm and mark a corruption. Victor stretches his shoulders and like massages the part of his left side that got blasted by the magic earlier and it unstiffens and he can roll his shoulder back further okay fuck this is not good he's gonna open up his phone 
and try and call Finn. I love this. Okay. So our scene changes to Alex's office where Finn is laying on their back on Alex's desk, playing with some knickknack that was on Alex's desk, just bored and being annoying when their phone starts to ring. They procure their phone out of some hidden pocket, basically look at the name and number on the phone, and then just swipe it, putting it on speakerphone. Oh, how does Finn answer the phone? Because Finn has Victor's phone number at this point, right? Sure. It's not like it's a hidden information. Victor, Victor, what can I help you with? You said you're looking to destabilize the power that Floor Watches has over the city? Yeah, that, that is very much in line with my goals right now. I don't trust you to take that mantle. I don't know you that well. I don't particularly like how you've done a lot of things, but otherwise, I'm in to do some disruption. Alex, Finn looks at you and goes, well, what do you think about that, Alex? This, this is all kind of starting to become your plan, isn't it? You have me on speaker? Oh, yes, by the way, you're on speaker. Alex, say hi. Hello, Victor. Cut back to the diner, and Victor is massaging his temple again. Okay. Hey, Alex. So you've come around on the watch, then? Yeah. Wonderful. As it just so happens, I think... Well, they've got trouble from a couple of different sides. Yeah. Well, maybe you should know that they attacked Cass like an hour ago. I trust that she's all right. She was when I left. Well, I did leave her in capable hands. Seems they're fucking around. So now they're gonna find out? That's the plan. Is that where you're going with this? Okay. <laughs> it's an in-joke, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. I'm not on the internet, I don't. What do you want, Victor? Well, I mean, it sounded like he wanted to destroy something. They're doing some fucked up shit, and they're willing to go places I didn't think they were willing to go to make that fucked up shit continue to happen. I'm well aware, but that doesn't answer the question. What do you want? Victor sits back in the booth of the diner, looks up at the ceiling. I'm done being played. Getting closer to an answer. I want more space. I want more authority. If you're making a play for something big, I want in, and not just as a tool. You know, I tell this to, well, most generations of your family I have a favorite, and I am constantly telling them that they are not my tools. It's amazing how long it takes to settle in that I mean it. One way or the other, the church falls tonight. If you want to be a part of that, you're more than welcome. Give me an address. I'll be there. Point Claire. Victor hangs up the phone. And I think that's a good segue to stay in Alex's office, as around the same time, he gets the text message from Alistair that says something basically like, Hey, I hear you want to take down Fleur's watch. Yeah, what, what is the actual wording of that, if I can ask? 
I don't remember exactly the wording, but it was basically something to the effect of, so I hear you want to take down Fleur's Watch. I'm pretty sure that was very close to the actual wording. I think Alex is just going to call Alistair at that point, because doing things through text, so gauche. Remind me, a wonderful, kind MC who just listened to the last episode. Where was Alistair at the end of that? Did he just, like, walk out of the church? Yeah, basically, there was a firefight. Jeremiah took another scar, and in the process, that gave Alistair an opening to get out, so he grabbed Jeremiah's shotgun and ran. Right. And we came over here in Jeremiah's car, right? That sounds correct. Yes. Did he happen to leave his keys in the car? <laughs> Fuck no! Not with you hanging around. Pretty sure we took two cups. Did we? I think so. I don't know, for some reason it seems like it was months ago. I thought we rode over together. Regardless, I think Alistair's probably not going to take Jeremiah's car. He's leaving in whatever method of transportation he has, whether that's a car or the Shoelace Express. And yeah, on the way, he will use his non-shotgun holding hand to answer the phone. Hello, Alex? So how did your trip go? It could have been a lot better. I'm assuming this is in response to the text message I sent you. Quite. Oh, is that a yes or a no? More a question. What are you hoping to accomplish here? The Fleur's Watch dies. Jeremiah dies. Yes, I think that about sums it up. Are you on the outs with Crawford again? You too. Spare me the bullshit, Alex. <sighs> you sound like you've had a long day. Yes. Jeremiah deserves death. The Fleur's Watch deserves death. How this whole godsdamned city deserves death at this point. Why don't you come by the shop? We'll have a nice cup of coffee, and we'll talk this out. If you're going to try to talk me out of it, Alex, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm more going to try and talk you into not doing something self-destructive. Not sure I have a whole lot of interest in that either at this point. Well, there are easier ways to go about it if that's your decision, but... I'm not sure if you're aware... But freeing Cassandra from her situation was step one in removing Fleur's watch from their seat of power. That plan's already in motion. I'd rather you not cock it up. As long as you can promise me that Jeremiah gets to die by my hand, I will consider your plans. Are you calling in a debt for that? I don't think I have a debt. Ah, uh, let's see. Let me check my list. I have one on Leon, I have one on Niberius, and I have one on Jeremiah. Yeah, I guess you don't. I'll take it into consideration. But it's not my primary goal. 
That's all that I ask. I'll be there shortly. Wonderful. I'll put a pot on. And then Alistair will hang up because nobody in St. Fleur canonically knows how to end a phone call. Accurate. And then, Alex, Leon's still at your place as well right now, right? Assumedly, yes. I think that is a good point to shift the scene back to Jeremiah, who is still in Point Claire. Jeremiah, Angela is currently tending to your wounds. Oh, it looks like you only have banged up marked at this point. You can go ahead yeah. and clear that one harm. All right. Cool. Just my scars. Just your scars. She is not saying too much right now as she's doing the healing. But provided you don't say anything, basically, if you want to talk to her, you can. If not, I'm going to tell you the next thing that happens. No, I think Jeremiah will just keep quiet and not say anything. We have those couple of quiet moments with Angela tending to Jeremiah's wounds, and you're back in an office workspace. It's a study. That's the word I'm looking for. And as Angela starts putting away the first aid kit and, like, medical magic stuff that she has, there's a knock at the door, and Angela just kind of, like, looks over her shoulder and is like, come in. And Isabel Lane steps into the room. I believe Jeremiah has met Isabel at some point now. She's the uh, chaplain in Five Points. Maybe not. I can't remember. Nothing comes to mind. Well, she's a little brisk right now anyways, so she doesn't really acknowledge that you're even in there, Jeremiah, and um, begins talking to Angela. The orders come down that we can't wait for the appointed time for the ritual. It has to happen tonight. And Angela nods. Well, I was expecting that to be the case, but that's a lot to prepare in a day. And Isabel just kind of shrugs, basically, like, get it done. That seems a little hasty, wouldn't you say? I'm sorry, who are you? Hmm, you can call me Jeremiah. Right, and do you even know what we're talking about enough to make the judgment that that's a little hasty? Well, considering that you burst in here and said big deal ritual, I'm going to assume something big and complex. And I am something of a amateur scholar in all things strange and mysterious. Shortcutting magical rituals never works out well. Right, well... That's not your call, my call, or Angela's call to make. So, if you want to voice your concerns, by all means, go up the bell tower and jump off it. Uh, I don't think I will. I'm really just here to kill a bunch of people for your group. Well, good. Maybe you should keep focused on what you're actually decent at. Isabel just kind of nods at Angela, and I'm going to go call the Lily and let her know. And Isabel leaves. And Angela just kind of sighs and well, it's going to be a fun evening here. Is there anything else that I can 
help you with before I get pulled into 510 other duties? Uh, well, if you've got any ready available squads of goons I can put in front of myself and a very pissed off vampire, that'd be greatly appreciated. I can ask a few of the acolytes to assist you. Hmm. I suppose that sounds good. Uh, I think Jeremiah will stand up, stretch, and just try to work out some of the kinks in his body. Given that he just got blasted by lightning for a second time. Wait, that for temp use of a gang? Alright, what does he want to do right now? His magical bullet forging. Which he needs to find someone for. He's got a squad of goons. Yeah, I'm gonna say she can rustle up four acolytes to help you. They're all fairly young, like 19 to 23-ish, not super, like, good at their magic, but you didn't ask for competence, you asked for bodies. Alright, I have four meat shields. Go visit the gun dealer from back in episode 13? Was it Mercer? That's the one. We were trying to get in good with Celia Mendoza's group. We're gonna spill a whole bunch of dirt on the network. Probably also make sure Dinah's not being killed by pissed off fairies. Alright, well while Jeremiah ponders over what he's going to do, and we dropped that bit that ritual's happening tonight, Silk, you are off on an adventure now. I am. So what is your plan there? You know, the meeting that your mom wanted you to help with is supposed to take place in Shadydale? Yep, so I think I'm just gonna head right over there and have a nice little talk with the other fae. Gentle fae? Gentle fae. Let's see. So Shadydale is mostly a well-forested area. There is a nature reserve that takes up most of the neighborhood. And there's a small, it's like one of those areas where people have cabins and stuff, but they're kind of spread out. But the nature preserve itself has a bit of, you know, an entry, a welcome center, and trails and stuff. And as you're pulling into the nature preserve, you do see Dinah's vehicle parked there outside the Welcome Center. Damn it, I was hoping she wasn't here, but oh well. Let's head into the, the Welcome Center then and see if we can find ourselves a Dinah. Yeah, so you walk into the Welcome Center and... Dinah is in there talking to the gentleman who is sitting at the desk in a ranger uniform. Silk has not met this person yet, but the audience would recognize him as Axel Simon, who leads the other werewolf pack. Oh, Dinah, dear. I was hoping to actually not find you here today. I'm guessing then that Jeremiah didn't tell you. Dinah looks up and seems a little surprised to see you and, like, looks confused. Jeremiah didn't tell me what. 
Oh, well, there is going to be a gang of rather testy fey who are looking to make either an example of you or to retrieve certain artifacts that they believe to be in your possession. That would be a problem. Oh, did Jeremiah? I don't know if she hasn't checked it. Voicemails are so unreliable, especially out in the country where there's no signal. Also, she's a millennial. Who actually checks their voicemail these days? Well, that is a little problematic. And Diana looks at Axel. Sorry, Axel Simon Silk. Silk Axel Simon. He stands up and offers a handout to you. He is tall, very broad, like lumberjack build, basically. Silk will offer his hand and look Axel up and down appraisingly, just because. Well, you seem to have a something about you that says not quite mortal. Is that right? Well, that's a bit of an assumption, but you're not wrong. Did you say Fae are coming onto my territory? Ah, so you must be a wolf then. Yes, I do believe they should be here in the very near future. And then he looks at Dinah and is like, So, did you steal something from the Fae? And I was like, steal is such a, such a bad word. I just beat them at their own game. That's all. Impressive. Thank you. <laughs> Evidently, they don't see it that way. May I ask what it is that you picked up from them? Ooh, what did she pick up from them? A variety of things, but probably most notably is, well, there is an orb that was created as part of Queen Mab's crown. You know, occasionally gets taken out to be used for much more magical purposes, and one of the fae in the town had it, and it was just... Your type really good into gambling, you know that? I'm actually quite surprised that Mother let that out of her sight. Interesting that now you have it. I haven't really done anything with it yet. It's more in my personal collection. That's not one of those get-it-and-sell-it items. That's a get-it-and-keep-it-for-emergency items. But I also have no intention of giving it back, because I did win it fair and square. Quite reasonable. I'm not intending to give that back at all. In fact, I am here to see if I could frustrate those fae. Well, I'm fine with that, but this isn't my area to make that call. And she looks towards Axel, who had sat back down and is listening, and that's fine, but I'm going to have me and mine on standby. Maybe redefine the phrase, the Great Hunt. <laughs> of course. Well, since this is your territory, perhaps may I ask for permission to assist with the hunt then? By all means, if you're a friend of Dinah's, you're a friend of mine. Well, I'm a friend to quite a few, but more Someone who is not a fan of who they are working for. One more question. Have you and your lot grown into your winter furs yet? 
Oh, this question feels real offensive. Something about this question just feels real offensive. <laughs> Doesn't it? What is your goal here with this? Well, I actually want to play with one of the new Let It Out examples. I would like to summon an elemental storm in the area to make things more difficult for the fae and hopefully easier for the furry werewolves. Okay, so you're asking it as a genuine question. It just came across kind of offensively. Yes, I am asking it as a genuine question. <laughs> I think Axel's able to read that and bites his tongue a little bit. We're well accustomed to the storms and weather is that hits this area, yes. Wonderful. And never ask a wolf that again. <laughs> Silk smiles. Well, I'm afraid it's going to be quite a bit colder than your standard January blustery evening, but I do have faith in you. All right. And then I see in chat that Jeremiah's first action will be to check in on Dinah. Are you going to call her? Yeah, he'll try calling her again, because like, things are tense, but with a whole magical door erasing part of her memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fun. And Dinah didn't seem to respond to the frantic voicemail about all the stuff. Jeremiah just sort of, like, blabbed at her when he tried to call her last. So might as well check in and see how she's doing, given that a, the network is apparently thinks both of them are the culprit for thefts, and Faye too. All right. So in the scene in the welcome center, Dinah's phone starts ringing and she pulls it out of her pocket and, oh, sorry, I need to um, take this. And she like steps away outside for some privacy and picks up the phone. What do you want? Did you listen to my last voicemail? There was a voicemail? Yes. I tried calling you because some shit is going down. Yeah, it sounds like I have some fae that want my head. Yeah, that was in the last message too, but rumors around the network, according to Sharp Teeth, is that someone is pinning the rash of thefts on us? So things can get tense. And Sophus discourse for cat! Sophus, what a cat? Sorry, my bag has a cat stuck in it. It's been there forever. Right. Okay, so getting blamed for thefts in the network, have a more immediate problem of Faye trying to kill me. Yes. All right, thank you for letting me know. Silk is here to help out with the Faye problems, so anything else? I suppose not. Just want to make sure you're safe. Are any of us truly safe in this city? We can be mostly safe. Don't worry, I'm not going to do anything ill-advised. Alright, I'll catch up with you later. Sure. And she hangs up the phone. Because canonically, nobody can say goodbye in St. Fleur. Nope. Alright, so it sounds like we have a couple of balls in the air right now. Jeremiah needs to go get supplies for protecting Fleur's watch. I actually just thought of some way I can get more competent help. And get more competent help. Because Fatima Sanchez is still roaming about. Yeah, and she owes you her everything, basically. Yes. 
That's a good idea. Yeah. I know Alistair is going to go to Alex's place. Alex, are you going to go ahead and tell Victor to join up with that as well, or? Yeah, I'll probably uh, send him a text out of courtesy. And then Silk is going to deal with some unseely fey by using winter weather against unseely fey. <laughs> yep, should be fun. It'll be fine. And I have plans on how that's going to ultimately go back into the main plot either way. So, cool. All right. So let's focus on Silk for a little bit, because that's the scene I need to get through the most right now, I think. So after Dinah hangs up the phone, she steps back into the welcome center and looks at you, Silk, and goes, well, Jeremiah just got a hold of me, so... Evidently, there are Fae going after me. Who would have guessed? Well, I would. I mean, that's why I came here for. I thought you understood sarcasm better than that. But it's so much more fun when I don't. <laughs> so, she looks between the two of you. What exactly is the plan here? Well, I'm going to assume that you have ways to find out when someone's encroaching in your territory. Axel, was it? Yes, I can put a watch out. Well, there's already a watch out, but I can let them know what I'm looking for. Lovely. Do let me know when they arrive, and Dinah, I suggest that you put on a coat. I can do that. And she walks over to, there's this coat rack hanging there, and... She has, like, her winter coat on it, and she pulls it off, putting it on, and I'm assuming I just stay in here and, I don't know, go sit behind the desk or something? Well, that's the boring way, I guess. You're more than welcome to join in. I'm assuming, as Jeremiah's lover, that you have a little bit more actionable... Oh! Sorry. Does Dinah yep. do that? Uh, there's, there, there's a, um... A noticeable chill in the air when Silk says that. Oops. <laughs> I love Silk. <laughs> oh, is there some tension in the home front? Nope. I have guns in my car. <laughs> and Dinah just walks out of the welcome center. And Silk looks back at Axel. He's got that possessive werewolf nature about him. Oh no, did I just cause trouble for Jeremiah? Oh darn. I thought those two were just friends. Hmm. They seemed a little bit more than friends to me, but who knows with mortals, it's... it's all wibbly-wobbly. Well, those on the outer reaches are telling me that they're um, seeing some movement, so if you're going to do something, you might want to start moving quick. Lovely. Then, um, if you excuse me, I will step out. I'll tell all the wolves to not eat you. <laughs> Quite appreciated. As Silk is walking out of this welcome center, he pulls out from his inner jacket pocket his laurel crown that we haven't seen since the very beginning. And he is playing with it, holding it in his hands almost fondly for a bit. And I would like to 
let it out as I do something stupid right now. All right. Roll to let it out and tell us what you're doing. Hey, that is an 11. So, Silk is, after fondling this crowd lovingly, he takes it into both of his hands and then he snaps it. <gasps> oh, shit. Because he is revoking his court right now and using the last of his everything to cause this storm and make it even more than the unseelie Fae can usually handle. Yeah, okay. So that definitely sounds like you are taking definite hold of something vulnerable or exposed as you completely shift the weather here. What happens? And also, do you want to ignore the corruption or do you want to take another from the list? I'm going to take something else from the list. I want to frighten, intimidate, and impress my opposition. Nice. I like it. Because I, I want this to be one hell of a storm. Yeah, so tell us what that looks like. Well, what was the, the weather prior to me fucking around with shit? It was cloudy, snowing a little bit, but it was the very light flakes. Cold enough that the air, it just stings a little bit as you breathe. But besides that, pretty stereotypical, calm winter day. Cool. I think as Silk snaps the crown, you don't hear the snapping of the crown. You instead hear a thunder crack as lightning starts above this welcome center. And the, the wind starts picking up and it, it, it goes into like full on blizzard here. As you're doing this, Dinah steps up next to you. There is a legit hunting rifle slung across her back and a shotgun in her hands. And there's also a ring that you didn't see her have before that seems to be emanating a bit of a warmth field around her. The um, snow melts before it can even touch her. Oh, well, that's an interesting bubble you have there. I am mortal. I always have to be prepared, right? Of course, of course. The fun is about to begin. And as Silk says, the fun is about to begin. I think in the background, you can hear the cry of some wolves calling back and forth between each other. And I imagine with this blizzard, visibility has gone down majorly. Absolutely. I'm going to let you decide who's the unseelie fae that Silk knows that he first sees step into eyeline. Let's see. I need a name, but I want this to be someone who was close to me. A best friend growing up, if Faye grew up. That sort of relationship. Yeah. I really want to name them like Satna. <laughs> nice Evan already put it in chat. Satin. That works for me. So you see Satin step out, or at least has been walking forward, moving forward. They have wings kind of similar to silks but because silk has like dragonfly on top butterfly on bottom right yep they have dragonfly and moth their moth wings kind of blend in with the snow 
but they've started to tap into their fey power already as they are moving towards the two of you. And you hear Dinah um, pump the shotgun. I don't know how shotguns work, so I'm going to just assume that that's how that works. And, like, start to take aim. You don't have to pump it before your first shot, but it, for dramatic effect. It's for dramatic like. effect. <laughs> I would assume that she's not keeping one in the chamber, so she would have to pump it. Yeah, proper gun safety. You do not keep yeah. one in the chamber. <laughs> what do you do? So as they're coming closer, I'm going to call out to them. Oh, Saturn. I was giving it even odds whether or not you were going to show up. Well, I'd really prefer if you would go home. Tell Mother a message for me. I think they stop when they hear your voice. They can see you, but I don't think it totally connected for them who you were until you spoke. I don't think she'd be very happy if I did that, Silk. Luckily, I'm not really in the business of making Mother happy anymore. Well, I am. I'll let you say your piece, but I doubt you'll be able to convince me. I wonder, could I actually maybe try and persuade them? Yes, I need you to say a bit more to actually hit persuading them. Cool. But they're giving you an opportunity here to go for that move, basically. Cool. Well, Satin, I am quite pleased to tell you that the city of St. Fleur is now under the protection of a different court. And if you were to continue your transgressions here, then, unfortunately, we will have to have words. Words with you? For now. Given that you had the impress, surprise, frighten, whatever that option says, go ahead and roll that persuade. As uh, Satin looks up at the raging blizzard that is almost surely your design. Hey, partial success, that's an eight. Okay, so on a seven to nine... They modify the terms or demand a debt. Satin pauses and looks at you and looks towards Dinah and then back towards you. Look, I'm not here to fight you. Either give me the girl or have her return what is rightfully ours and I'll walk away. Silk is going to turn playfully to Dinah and go, Well, you've heard the gentleman's terms. What do you think? I think I've made it pretty clear already that I won that in a fair game, and I don't think they want me any closer than I am right now. And she, like, levels the shotgun towards Satin to emphasize that statement. Well, unfortunately, dear Satin, that seems rather unlikely. Then I guess we don't have an option, old friend. You see, after Satin says that, they pull a sword made out of ice so hard that it almost looks like diamond out of nowhere. Some of the snow around them starts to form battle armor, basically, as a few more of the unseelie fae start to appear towards the edges of your vision. And that's all punctuated by a deep howl as a large wolf 
comes bounding out of the welcome center. And I think this is when we're going to switch back to Alex's. Alex, a massive blizzard has started over St. Floor out of nowhere. Alex is making coffee. So I guess the question is, has Alistair showed up yet? Yes, I think this is when Alistair just got inside before the blizzard started. I think Alex actually looks pretty pleased at this point because a huge fuck-all blizzard happening right before he goes to, you know, tear down a corrupt institution. It just, it plays to that sense of melodrama. And if Alex loves anything, it's melodrama. So I think he's putting together, you know, coffee and he looks over his shoulder at uh, Alistair. Cream, sugar, how do you take yours? Can't say I'm particularly thirsty at the moment. I'm more interested in hearing out what you have planned. Hospitality, Alistair, I take it quite seriously. And I think Alex just drops a cream and a little sugar in there. Now, let's start at the beginning. Last I saw you, Crawford had stormed into your basement and made quite a few demands. What happened? He and I, well, we made an uneasy truce to go deal with the Fleur's watch, and as I should have seen coming, he decided to renege on that deal, join up with them, and murder Theodora in cold blood right in front of me. Unsurprising. Yes, unfortunately, in the moment I was surprised, and, well, this whole city needs to burn, to be quite honest with you, Alex. Fleur's watch is a blight upon this city. <laughs> the world will be a better place when Jeremiah is burning in hell where he belongs, and, well, to be quite honest, I don't care about a whole lot other than that at the moment. I appreciate your flair for the dramatic, Alistair. But Crawford betraying you does not mean you get to burn an entire city to the ground. If you want to take revenge on Crawford for stabbing you in the back, I perfectly understand. But put your anger where it belongs. You misunderstand me, Alex. I'm saying that Jeremiah and Fleur's watch are the targets. The city, shall it be collateral? I take it or leave it. You'll understand that I disagree. I'm not going to these lengths. There is a huge roll of Alistair's eyes as he says, You've yet to elaborate on what this plan of yours is. Here's the thing. You made a snap decision to team up with someone that you obviously didn't trust and take on an organization that has existed in this city for well over a century. So you'll understand if I don't trust your judgment. Again, I'm not hearing any plan. Yes, because I'm going to tell you what you need to know and nothing more. Now, once we have established that your judgment is sound, I'll let you in on more of it. But for now, we are still awaiting Victor Margaret. So relax, warm up, have a cup of coffee, and cool off. Well, am I warming up or cooling off? 
don't be glib with me. Finn has just been hanging out, drinking their coffee the whole time. And I mean, I could summon your boy toy if you need to take some of your anger out somewhere. I didn't even notice you here. Uh, Alex, what is Finn doing here? Are they part of this mysterious plan as well? Uh, according to them, witnessing history. I think Alistair just settles into... I imagine Alex has at least one of those, like, giant wing-back chairs. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Alistair settles dramatically into it and just says, Alright, I'll be here until somebody decides to start telling the truth. Judging by this city, that may be a while. You know, I can't believe I, of all people, am about to say this, but aren't you being a little dramatic? I just found out that my family was murdered for no other reason than petty revenge. My cousin was shot dead right in front of me by somebody that I thought was on my side. And quite honestly, everybody in this town has been fucking me over since day one. You'll excuse if I'm not in the mood for pleasantries. Oh no, poor baby, learning the difficulties of life. I am the last of a noble line. I am the last of the Lockwood name, and if I am going to go out, I am going to go out in a blaze of God's damned glory. Perhaps you should be more worried about not going out in a blaze of glory. And why the fuck would you care about that, Alex? I think Alex just goes and sits down behind his desk and looks up briefly to each of those big pictures on either side of the chair and then looks back over at Alistair. I have seen so many blazes of glory. I have seen so many people die in them. And I could tell you maybe three of their names. People who go out that way accomplish goddamn nothing. If you want to burn yourself, then I'm not going to stop you, I'll be a little sad. But at least accomplish something before you die. Oh, cut me the pleasantries bullcrap, Alex. We both know that the moment I'm gone, no matter how it happens, nobody in this city is going to give a shit about either myself or the Lockwood name. We are nothing anymore. Well, you're half right. Just because your great and powerful noble family has fallen doesn't mean that you are nothing. Untie yourself from the chains of your history, Alistair, and move forward. And yeah, I do think that seems like a moment of emotional intimacy. Yeah, that was definitely, from Alistair, a moment of emotional intimacy. Yeah. Oh, let's see what happens when that happens. Decide whether you care about them or not. If you don't, they... If you do, they take... Okay, so I think, surprisingly, Alistair actually does care about Alex right now. Because Alistair is vulnerable enough that 
he's just sort of laying everything bare. And Alex is trying to comfort him, or at least encourage him to not throw everything away. So, uh, Alex, you are going to take minus one on going to escape until you get some intimacy somewhere else. (laughs) That's okay. I only run forward. It's fine. (laughs) And Alex kind of settles back and just, like, rubs his eyes for a second. Alistair, when you live as long as I do, you start to see patterns. This, what you're going through right now, whether or not this helps you, is not new. It is not unique. This is the decline of any family that used to be more important than any one family has a right to be. You just happen to be living through it right now. My suggestion, my advice to you, is to get over yourself. I think we get a close-up on Alistair's jaws. You just see it clinch hardcore. I'm not sure he has anything to say in response to that. And I do think Alex just slowly pushes a cup of coffee across the desk to Alistair. (laughs) Like, in the silence. Alistair stares Alex down as he slowly takes it and starts drinking. Victor, this is about when the bus that I presume you took... Oh, no, you have a car now. I have a car now. All I'm right. driving my car. Victor's a rich boy now. Forgot, yeah. Yeah, so as you cross the bridge into Point Claire, a massive blizzard seemed to start out of nowhere. And just because I'm a melodramatic bitch, you can hear wolf howls in the far south of the city, which is not your territory. No. It's not Margaret territory at all. Victor parks like several blocks away from Alex's fine establishment. Due to the weather, he does not trust his bad car to get him the rest of the way in this, this weather. And he hikes up his collar of his long jacket and looks out to the south. Well, that sure is fucking ominous. He takes his bag, his duffel bag, and heads to... Alex's place. So shortly after Alistair started to drink the cup of coffee, there is knocking on the door. If you'll excuse me. And Alex is going to head down. And as he does, I would like to establish a couple of things. As he heads down, it's obvious that there's a little activity going on. The shop has been closed up for the day. At this point, the weather is just a convenient excuse. But we can see lots of stacks of boxes in the back room that is usually pretty bare, and a bunch of people moving more in. These are Alex's ghouls, and he's just going to kind of give a look back towards them and then head over towards the front where the knocking is to open the door. Uh, Hello, Victor. Victor brushes the snow out of his beard as he uh, shakes his uh, shoulders uh, clear of it as well as he steps inside. Alex? We have coffee upstairs if you would like to have some. Warm up. Yeah, something's going on in the south side of town. I don't know what, but... Yes, well, something's about to be going on on the north side of town too, so let's focus there. 
Why don't you head up? I'll be there in just a moment. Uh, he kicks his shoes on the doorframe and then heads upstairs. And uh, I, I do want to have Alex head back towards that back room for a minute, just to check on what's going on over there. And I will definitely let you know what that is. Basically, each of these boxes is full of uh, camp fuel cans. Basically, uh, you can buy propane tanks in large quantity uh, over a long period of time at a relatively reasonable rate through most uh, camp supply wholesalers. You know, I'm just going to give that to you. Alex has money. I say Alex has money, so I'm just going to, yeah, yeah. Also, I took a corruption move that will make this relevant later. (laughs) (laughs) So feel free to follow Victor and whatnot. Yeah, so Victor, when you go up to Alex's apartment area, I imagine the door to the office where Finn and Alistair both are is open. Leon, who's in Jew's body, so Leon, who looks like Jew, is just sitting at the kitchen table drinking some coffee by themselves. Yeah, that's, that's the scene you walk into. I head into the kitchen to get some warm coffee. I'm assuming Alex has some sort of, like, fancy Italian coffee maker. Oh, hells yes. Okay. Victor stares at it for a bit, and then just sits down at the table with an empty mug. Do you need some help? I don't know what this thing is. Overly complicated. Black coffee? Yeah. That would be great. Yeah, Leon gets up and they make Victor just a cup of black coffee and then set it in front of him on the table and sit back down. You know anything about the plan? No, I I haven't really asked much, to be perfectly honest. I assume we'll Alex will get in on it shortly then. Alex, that seems like a perfect time for you to be. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yes, well, about that. And he heads back over to his desk and sits down. I follow him. I had hoped that the Watch would have taken the peaceful way out. Unfortunately, these things rarely go that way. Much as it pains me, tonight, the Point Clare Cathedral is going to have a little accident. It will elaborate. I gave them plenty of lead time, plenty of warning. I've had my people gathering certain supplies, which, in a short amount of time, will be delivered to key places around the cathedral. I am of a mind to head there shortly and give them one last chance to evacuate the building before I tear it down. And why do they deserve another chance to do what they do? If I wanted to spread wanton terror throughout this city, I highly doubt anyone could stop me. I've heard that scoff before. Point is, I don't. As it stands, I feel that this city needs order. And that is... Assumedly, what Fleur's Watch is providing order and prosperity, but at a cost that is... Prosperity for who, exactly? Whoever they deem worthy of it? Quite. 
I'm going to be a little more egalitarian about things. And that starts with offering them the same choices that I'm going to offer the rest of this. Well, let's just start with Point Claire, shall we? Now, I doubt that many of them will choose to take me up on the offer, but it has to be made. Again, why? What offer did they allow my parents before murdering them cold blood to seize the power that they currently have? It's not about revenge, it's about dynasty building. Fuck dynasty building. My parents attempted to build a dynasty and look where it's gotten them. Buried in the ground. And where did it get me? A dilapidated old mansion that I don't even care to keep up. That I'm forced to live in because that's where their fucking ghost... Wait a minute. You're both wrong. It's not about revenge and it's not about a dynasty. It's about justice. Tell yourself whatever you like. I'm sure Alexander the Great did the same. No, as I recall, he was quite about the dynasty building. Victor shrugs. Fleur's Watch has committed quite a few horrors in this city. And ultimately, the being responsible resides in that bell tower. I have given her several chances to walk away, and she has refused them all. But here's the thing. I lived through the Reign of Terror. I know what it's like to see people executed for the crime of simply belonging to a household. I am going to put blame where it rests. So no, Alistair, the entire organization doesn't have to die for the sins of one person. The organization has to die because they were complicit. Yes, and if you find the people that killed your parents specifically, I'll be more than willing to let you take whatever revenge you see fit. But it will not be wanton, and it will not be aimless. Do we understand each other? I have an aim. <sighs> Don't make me regret letting you in my house, Alistair. Alistair just stares blankly at Alex. Now, we're going to wait until full dark, and then we're going to move. Do you have a truck? A jeep, perhaps? Because this snow is coming down fast. What, you can't deal with little weather? I can, but if we're walking, we should get going sooner than you think. Fair point. And from there, we cut to Jeremiah, who has a few more preparations that he was planning on doing. Yes. First, as prior to the storm suddenly appearing, Jeremiah would have been going back to his apartment to stock up on magical artifacts. Specifically, he needs his gin and he needs his hand of glory. All right. He is able to get both of those, and I think the storm is hitting as he's leaving his apartment. This is inconvenient. Does he know where Fatima Sanchez lives? And he's going to throw a couple, like, cat treats into his bag. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say that's information he would have gotten from her before letting her go. Excellent. For totally not convenient reasons, she also lives in Franklin Square. 
All right, so making his way for Vanel, increasingly worsening weather, Jeremiah is going to pay a call to Fatima. Uh, I'm trying to think how I want to make this roll. Hit the streets? Yeah, it definitely feels like a hit the streets. I want to give you a plus one because of the whole you made her basically swear to work with you thing. Oh, damn. All right. I mean, like, I feel like you should get something out of that. Well, mortality is currently sitting at three, so I don't know if I can go to plus four. Okay. Well, your mortality is already pretty good, so go ahead and roll to hit the streets with mortality. And that means I can mark mortality and have a second free advancement sitting around. That's a 10 plus. All right, so on a hit, they're available and have the stuff. So you arrive at Fatima's place, which is above a little cafe that we see has, like, turned their sign to closed as the storm is getting worse. You hear her approach the door and, like, look through the people at who it is, and then she opens the door for you, Jeremiah, and beckons you in. He'll go in, brushing snow off of his person. Miss Sanchez, pleasure to see you again. Of course it is. What can I help you with, Mr. Crawford? Well, I need some people that actually know how to use a gun. Or knives. Any weapon will do. There's some people I need to kill. Okay. I don't have quite nearly as many as I used to, but I still have some who are available. That'll be excellent. And tonight's gonna get it very interesting. Assuming we both survive, I can possibly put you in a position to get back to where you once were. We'll see about that. Well, think on it. I assume you'd like to be out from under any debts you might have from me. I'm helping you, aren't I? Excellent. When do you need them and where? And I'll be there, of course, too. I am the best of the bunch. Uh, just wondering where we stage all of this. Bring her to the cathedral. Preferably as soon as possible. Uh, she seems completely unsurprised by the location. <laughs> and just nods. Alright, yeah. I'll get that moving. It might be a little difficult with whatever this weather is doing, but I will get people there. I'm hoping we have enough time. I'm sure it'll be fine. Basically, you're going to get a medium-sized gang from her. Woo! Is what I'm going to give you, because that's about how many people got left alive. Oh, and also these people are really going to fucking hate Victor and Alex. <laughs> that, that was my intention. Revenge. You don't say. Oh, just uh, something that might interest you. I do believe that two of the people responsible for maiming and killing most of your organization will be around there. You know the ones. Vampire and werewolf. Lovely. I'll make sure that that information's distributed. I will see you later, Miss Sanchez. Very well, Mr. Crawford. All right. Next up, we need to go see my arms dealer friend and get this sword turned into bullets. 
Oh, yeah, that's what the sword was for. I knew that she gave you a sword. I just couldn't remember why. Because of where you are in the city, most of these streets have been pre-treated, so they're not awful yet, but it's getting a little rough as you make your way to Eldersburg, where Mercer is located. I believe we decided Mercer was also mortality? Yes. All right. Give me another roll to hit those streets. Oh, that's a 12 now. All right. He is also at his apartment. I think when you walk up, he, like, has his window open a little bit because he's doing that thing where, like, he's leaning out his window to smoke as he's watching all the um, snow come down. So when he sees you, he just kind of, like, gives you the head nod and goes to unlock his door for you. Good to see you again. I have to admit, Lenny, I wasn't expecting to see you so soon. Leonard's idle twitch being called Lenny. I need... And he'll pull up a rapier. This hunk of metal turned into something more useful. And he'll give it the type of bullet he needs. He takes the sword from you and looks it over. I mean, yeah, I can, I can do this for you. But this is a fine piece of craftsmanship that you're about to ruin. <sighs> yes. Suppose I am, but it can kill vampires, and surprisingly, I never learned how to use a sword. And I am not going to learn in the next couple hours. Oh, so it's a rush job. Yes. Well, coffee and tea's in the kitchen. I'll get to work on this, I guess. Leonard will go make himself a cup of coffee. And I think our final shot is Leonard sitting at Mercer's kind of rickety kitchen table drinking that cup of coffee as we can hear Mercer working on turning the sword into bullets in the background. Is that a nice little detail to the scene? I think Leonard's just going to be sitting looking at his uh, captured gin. Ooh, I like that. And we can see smoke roiling inside of the container. And as our camera zooms in on that smoke, we fade to black. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, tweet us at St. Fleur Pod and let us know your thoughts. Shadows of St. Fleur is an Urban Shadows actual play podcast in seed by Landon Corbin. You can find him on Twitter at OccasionalGM. This episode was edited by Bree. She can be found on Twitter at pseudonym social. Additional editing and production for this episode was completed by Elliot, who can be found on Twitter at Podcaster Elliot. Alistair is voiced and played by Elliot. You can find him on Twitter at Podcaster Elliot. Alex is voiced and played by Jeremy. You can find him on Twitter at TayuFace. Silk is voiced and played by Eric. You can find him on Twitter at PrimeFactorX01. Victor is voiced and played by Evan. You can find him on Twitter at Nyquist underscore JE. And finally, Jeremiah is voiced and played by Allison. Urban Shadows is powered by the Apocalypse tabletop role-playing game, written, designed, and developed by Andrew Medeiros and Mark Diaz Truman. It is published by Magpie Games, who you can find at magpiegames.com, 
or on Twitter at MagpieOfficial. Farewell, dear listener. We hope you enjoyed your visit to St. Fleur.